you are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. 2 Kings chapter 22, we're going to look at that in just a little bit. Around your table tonight, hopefully you are already having that conversation about what cultural trends are the most alarming to you today. Some of y'all probably said, where do I start, right? Okay, there's quite a few that are going on in this world today. So what we want to talk about tonight is how do we lead with faithfulness in a fallen world? Uh, Because there's a lot of different ways that we can consider this, but I think all of us here tonight, would you agree that this world is in bad shape? Okay, it's in bad shape. Uh, You don't have, it's not a political statement. It's not a, any type of, I'm on this party or that party. It's just reality. This world is in need of a whole lot of Jesus right now. And so with that, there can be a, uh, a hard way of thinking through how do we address the problems in the world today. The dismal state of the world can cause a leader to question if positive change is even possible. You ever been there where you look at something so bad, you go, is there, is there even hope for this? <laughs> can this thing turn around? Is it in this bad shape? Um, we must lead with integrity and intentionality, no matter how dark this culture becomes. So we've got to at least consider the truth here today of what do we need to do to walk with integrity, walk with intentionality, to consider how we need to change our own lives in relation to what's going on in the world today. Um, I, I know about potentially for a lot of us, but if you think about that question, if you will, of uh, what does it look like for what cultural trends are the most alarming to you today? Um, there was something recently where uh, I was listening to a podcast episode where uh, someone was mentioning um, all the issues that Target was yet again having. I don't know if any of you saw this or not, uh, but but Target was uh, having advertisements of men in female bathing suits and large uh, posters all over the deal to say, you know, if you're a man and you want a female bathing suit, this is what you need to go to. They took it down not out of fear of protest or fear out of financial loss, even though they were taking that. They were fearful because in some of the places they were having it, that some of their, um, their workers were feeling endangered by people who were so angry at it. And so they took some of it down uh, and so there are some people who are like, you know, no Christian can go to Target, right? Well, people, every so often Target would do something. It started with the whole Merry Christmas thing, right? Okay, uh, that was the thing. But there was, there was large ads of if you, you know, if you feel like this and you, they're going, you can do that. Uh, with June being, uh, if you have an electronic calendar, it has reminded you that June is LGBTQ plus month, right? And you need to be celebrating, which just means... Whatever you want to be and think and do sexually, you've got permission to do so, and we want to celebrate that. The Los Angeles Dodgers recently had a uh, satanic group that, I forget the name of it, but basically they dress up as monks and nuns and do sexual acts in front of people and brought them as the guest to the program. And yet they would see that there were certain family and Christian value theme nights that would be dangerous to the people there, but this is acceptable. Now I say that to go, it doesn't even take a, I, I'm, I'm not shocked anymore. I know I probably should be, right? But when you hear certain things, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm not surprised, right? But like, I, and I say this as a 41, almost 42 year old man, okay, right? So I know I'm older than some of you in here. 
And some of you, I am younger than, praise God. I am at that nice little spot where I can say, in 41 years, what has happened to this place? Like, this, it's just different, right? Now, I am not one of those who goes, you know, back when I was younger, everybody was Christian and loving Jesus. I, we had issues, okay? Where I grew up, my high school, there's fights all the time. I knew there's people doing all kinds of horrible things. But you know what? Back in those days, there were certain things of people being disobedient that at least wasn't culturally accepted. You, you might be it and you had suspicions, but it wasn't something you promoted. You following, right? Now, not only is it promoted, it is forced, right? You accept this or else. This is the, the climate that we're in today. And so I imagine that at your table today, as you're discussing what are some cultural trends that are most alarming to you today, you've got a lot just like I have a lot. Well, what do we do with it? Well, let's, let's talk about the problem just for a brief moment. And this is that the current cultural climate is so hostile to the biblical standard that it can cause even the strongest of saints to consider surrendering. There are, the cultural climate right now is not just, well, um, there were dangers when it was cultural Christianity, like, oh, you grew up in the Bible Belt and therefore you were Christian. There are dangers there. But now it's so hostile that it causes even the strongest of saints. And when I say saints, let me just make sure you understand what that word means. If you grew up in Catholic, you're like, you mean a, somebody who the church said is a really good person after they're dead? The New Testament teaches that you are either one of two things in this life. You are either a sinner or a saint. Okay? I thought all people sin. You're right. But there are some people who are identified as a sinner and other people who are identified as a saint. And you go, I don't feel very saintly. You don't have to feel that way, but if you've trusted in the gospel, you are no longer a sinner. You might sin, but that's not your identity. You are not a sinner. You are a saint who sometimes sins. There's a big difference there, right? That's not who I am. Now, sometimes what I drift back to, but that's not who I am. So for this, the strongest of saints can consider surrendering just going, it's not worth a fight, Right? Like, you, you're going to be canceled. You're going to be ostracized if you don't jump on this. man. Like, and, and the change, right? So, so significant uh, of, of what we've seen here. And this fallen world positions leaders to choose, I would say, one of these four uh, stances. Number one stance is to compromise. Have you seen anybody in our culture who claims to follow Christ compromise on standards? Yeah, right? It happens, and they go, well, you know, I'm not for it and everything. But, um, folks, I mean, let's just even think about political stances. You can think about Democratic Party, but you can think about the people of the Republican Party. You can think about this group over here, that group over there, this denomination, that denomination. It's starting to change what some people used to say, well, I'm not for it, but who am I to say? And now it's like, not only am I not saying, hey, I'm very much volatile like for this thing, right? I am, you need to accept this or else. And so a lot of times Christian leaders feel this need to compromise or else you don't want to be on that hit list, right? Uh, you know, there was a, um, if a, uh, the sense of thinking through that as we archive sermons and audio and whatnot, there are certain things that I will say in sermons that, you know what, one day could pull up and say, you know, you said this back two years ago. And I'd say, I'd say it again. <laughs> it's in the Bible, right? But those kind of things can be used against you. And so some people just compromise. Some people retreat, right? 
Don't have any kind of engagement in the public square. Don't want to confront anybody. I'm just, I'm just getting away from this, right? Maybe those monks and those nuns had something going for them. Like just get away from all the insanity. Separate yourself. Keep yourself holy. Worry about you and your own. Don't move from there. Third option is just to surrender. I just give up, right? It's not even just a subtle compromise. It's just a complete, wholehearted exception, uh, uh, accepting of what's happening. Or you can choose, and always if you have a list like this, the last one's got to be the right answer, right? Okay, the last answer is, or you can try to influence. You can try to make a difference. You might meet in a lot of ways, okay? We might feel somewhat that maybe if you grew up in the South, there used to be this majority, right? This moral majority, these people who follow, and we're, we're, we're kind of, we may not be the majority anymore. That, that's okay. You still can influence. You still can make a difference. Life on life, and also in different ways that you can impact others. The dismal state of this world does not guarantee that its end has to be the end of everyone in it. What I mean by that is, y'all do realize this world's going away one day, right? It's It's over. It's, it's not like, oh, we don't, like, there is coming a day where everything that we know and see and fight about will no, be no more. But that doesn't mean that everybody here has got to be on that same trajectory. There can be changes that happen in people's life, and that's where you and I find ourselves. And I love this quote from Anton de Saint-Exupéry, which says this, okay? You got to think about it, but I love it. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You go, that's kind of deep there. Oh, it is. But if you think about it, right? If you want to build a ship, don't be like, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. You want to cast a vision of what could be. And I think a lot of times, maybe as Christians, we come across as do this, do this, do this, do this. Versus, let me tell you what God has envisioned for your life. There is a phrase that some Christian communicators and uh, theologians are using today that I, I'm a big fan of, but it talks about that what we have when we try to speak on behalf of God in our culture is we are standing for something called human flourishing. We want human beings to flourish in this world, right? Now, typically, when you were 16 and your grandma told you about the commands you're supposed to keep, you did not think God wanted you to flourish, Right? You thought she was trying to keep you away from all the fun you wanted to have. But how many of you have ever been on the other side of disobeying commandments and thought, what have I done? Those consequences, they didn't tell me about that. That over there wasn't worth it. So what we're about, when we say this is what God's word says, it's not to take away fun. It's actually to bring joy. And so what we want to do is to cast a vision and say, hey, your life can be so much more meaningful and purposeful and joyful than what you could ever imagine and maybe then people would start making the adjustments to start building that boat, if you will. So, so as we look at an example of a servant leader that I think is so incredible, we're going to find uh, a guy by the name of King Josiah. I love King Josiah so much because if you look at chapter 22, verse number 1, he became king at the ripe age of what? Eight years old. You got an eight-year-old in your life, anybody? You want to think about giving the keys to the kingdom <laughs> to the eight-year-old? I mean, I'm just thinking about like, yeah, that, that, that could be horrible. Can I just tell you that at eight, Josiah was a whole lot better than some of those other kings when they were 40, okay, right? Age is not always a sign of maturity. Um, this is what it says. Uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Um, 
It says his mother's name was Jedediah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath, and he did what was right in the Lord's sight, walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or to the left. Go down to verse number 11. Um, When he finds out something about the book, uh, what happens here in this amazing story, it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. What does that mean? That was made like great repentance. Here's what happens. Um, when Josiah became king at an early age, he responded well when he became familiar with Scripture's teaching. What takes place in this moment? Josiah has been leading for a few years, and they are cleaning out the temple, and he has some people he's delegated certain tasks to. And he says, hey, if you find anything in the treasury, you want to go over here. And when you clean this out, make sure that goes over there. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to him and says, hey, um, tell the king we found a book there he might want to read. Well, what's the book? It was Genesis through Deuteronomy. So he brushes that thing off, <laughs> blowing the dust off. King, we think you might want to read this. He goes, okay, read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like this. This book's going pretty good. Then he starts getting into Exodus. You should have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. And Josiah starts looking around that room going, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, you shall not... Uh, uh, commit murder. You shall not uh, take uh, commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh oh, right? Uh, start all these different laws about how they should follow after God and do these things ritually and ceremonially. And all of a sudden, Josiah realizes this very quickly. We're in trouble. This whole book we have disregarded. We're not a little bit off from it. We are in a completely different hemisphere, and I am overwhelmed. So he tears his clothes. It is a sign of deep repentance. It is, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? He gets to that place where he is overwhelmed. Um, I would just have to imagine that if somebody, take the political leader that you want to, say, hey, um, you're, you're over some administration here in the United States of America. I got a book for you I want you to read. Read through Leviticus. Read through Deuteronomy, right? There would be one of two answers to to reading that book. One is, uh uh-oh. Or one is, that's a backward book for a different time. And we are finally beyond all that religious nonsense, right? And yet, Josiah reads this. And he doesn't think, by the way, because when you read God's word, you either go, I need to change or God needs to change. Right? Josiah doesn't look at God. Well, that's an old book. You know, we've progressed. We're, we're kind of a little bit beyond that. He goes, I need to change. So he decides that he needs to make a change. Look at what he does in verse 12. He commanded the priest Hilkiah, Hikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, the court secretary, Shaphan, the king's servant, Isaiah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah about the words in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. Uh, While I say that I am not too much in shock of things that I read today, there should be some times where I should fall on my knees and say, oh Lord, help us. How have we gotten this far? And I also want to say, um, there are probably times that not just in the state of the United States of America, but I should look at the church in America and go, oh, Lord, how have we gotten this far, right? What does Josiah do? He goes, you need to go talk to the Lord and, and see how bad it's going to be. Because I know we've rebelled, we've disobeyed, we're in trouble. 
Josiah observed the state of his culture against the teaching of God's word, and he knew that they were in trouble. So to evaluate a culture, to assess a society, to look at this is where we are, this is what God's word says, and we are so far removed from what God's expectations of us, what should we do and what's God going to do to to us? Um, And so this is where he's overwhelmed, and rightfully so, right? (laughs) You think about once again, if we were to look at all the ways that we are disobeying Scripture, there are certain things in our life that go, wow, I, I, we are far removed from that. So he goes, go and speak to the Lord on behalf of that. Verse 15, this is what happened. He goes down. This is what the Lord of God of Israel says. Say to the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Say this to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard, this is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm bringing on this place. Do you catch what he, this word says? I talked to God and he said, Trouble is coming, but because your heart was tender, you won't live to see it. You won't live to see it. My wife's grandfather, I've told some of you about before, he was the guy who had the revelation charts in his back study, you know. He had the timelines, and he'd always hey, come here, I want to show you this, I'll study, and just, you see that on the news, that's the best, you know, all, like, he has all the stuff, and I, I would love sitting down there and talking to him, and he would always look at me before I leave, and he'd say, Travis, Lord's coming back. It may not be in my time, but you better believe it's going to be in your time. This place has gotten too far off the rails. Jesus is coming back. You get people ready for it. Now, I'm not even going to dare to try to entertain when I think the Lord's return is. You know why? Because he said, if you think you know, guess what? That ain't the time. Okay? But yet, um, there is a sense of, I, I know every single day we're getting closer to the Lord's return, Right? That makes a little, little sense here. And every time that the world shifts a little bit, you see how depraved we truly are. And I can almost feel like Josiah, like I'm in trouble. And Lord, I, I can't believe this. What do we need to do? And God in his grace says, I said back in the law, in Genesis through Deuteronomy, if my people would obey my commandments, they will flourish, right? If they disobey, I will have to use some form to punish them to wake them up. Josiah, this is going to happen to this culture, but you won't live to see it. What do you mean? I'm going to prolong my judgment on this people until you go to rest with me in peace. This is a, due to Josiah's humbling himself before the Lord. He would not personally experience the coming divine judgment. Josiah, it's coming. You won't have to see it though. You won't see it with your eyes. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, that's pretty good news, right? <laughs> okay. It, it's like, you mean to tell me like, you know, if you just think about something, Hey, uh, I can remember when I was, um, playing football in high school, 
If we're all going to have to run extra laps or run suicides after practice, this kind of stuff, hey, everybody's got to do it, but Travis, you don't have to because you did your drills right. You know what I'm going to look at those guys? Bye. Okay. <laughs> Peace out. Y'all have fun with all that. I am going to be thrilled to death that I don't have to do all that extra stuff. I've been practicing for a long time. I'm tired anyway. You mean I don't have to deal with that because so-and-so did this? Hey, that's awesome, coach. Thank you very much. And what does Josiah, Josiah doesn't have to experience the pain of what disobedience has caused. So Josiah should just go and just go to his car and go home and enjoy his life. And that's not what Josiah did. This is what's crazy. God says, retire, buddy. You live your life out. You'll die. And then it's coming. As soon as you're gone, I'm coming for them. You won't have to see it. And look what happens, chapter 23. So the king sent messengers. They gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the people from the youngest to the oldest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people agreed to this covenant. Josiah, you don't have to do any of this. But he got to. Josiah, you're not going to experience any of the pain, any of the judgment, any of the wrath. He doesn't care. What's he going to do? With the time I have left, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what I can. And then Josiah used his influence to expose other leaders to truth and to guide them to a different way of life. Josiah just didn't keep this information for himself. He gathered other leaders and said, let me show you what I have found out. And I am going to to tell you what we need to do. So Josiah uses his influence, gets other leaders together, says, "Let's, let's walk through a different way of life. Then when you look at verse number four, it says, Then the king commanded the high priest Hilkiah and the priests of the second rank and the doorkeepers to bring out of the Lord's sanctuary all the articles made for Baal, Asherah, and all the stars in the sky. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kinnerod and carried their ashes to Bethel. Now what is he doing here? He started taking down idols, burning them, and getting their ashes away from the city because he thought he didn't want that filth nearby. Now verses four through 20. I have underlined in my Bible just different verbs of what he does to idols, priests, and unholy things. And I'm just going to read you the verbs, okay? Just for time's sake. Burned, carried ashes, did away, brought out, burned it, beat it to dust, threw its dust on the graves, tore down the houses of the prostitutes, defiled the high places. What does that mean? He took religious artifacts towards other gods and defiled them. Most likely, he threw excrement upon them. He is taking human or animal waste and smearing it on it to say, that's what I think of you. Defiles it, tear down, defiled, did away, burned, tore down, tore down, smashed, defiled, broke, cut down, filled with human bones, tore down, burned, crushed, burned, burned them, defiled them. What's this monument I see? Burn that one. Um, Here's the bones. Undisturbed this. Uh, You see what? 
homeboy's a wrecking crew, right? Okay, he just literally goes through the city and anything that reeks of idolatry, he tears down. Josiah, you're free from the punishment of what these idols are going to cause these people. And he doesn't care. While free from the punishment of the culture's idols, he still did everything he could to remove them from among the people. Think about it. He would not be in any type of way of trouble because of what the culture had worshipped. But yet, he wanted to remove the filth from among the people of God. He wanted to do everything he possibly could so that they would not be endangered anymore. Um, on a Sunday night a couple years ago, I remember my wife called me and said, Hey, there's a snake in the backyard. I don't know what to do with it. And I said, get a shovel and cut its head off. She's like, nope, not going to happen. And I was like, we'll go and find a neighbor. So she calls our next door neighbor. And he says, oh, I can't come over there. I'm scared of snakes. Okay, I'm, I've got evening service. I'll be there in a little bit. She's like, it's going to, you know, the dog's out there and daughter's out. like, I said, well, just bring them inside. Like, and she goes, okay. I said, there's a hunter down the road. He's, he's all into stuff. Like, he, like he's, he loves killing stuff. Just go call him. Get the message? He's scared to death of snakes. Won't touch one. His wife's got to help him. Like, okay. So I finally, finally, finally get home. I go out there with the boys, and I was like, hey, I want, I, I can kill the snake, but I want to give you the opportunity. Some of you are like, what kind of snake was it? Some of them are good. It's a snake in my backyard. It's a dead one, okay? That's what I said, okay? And no snake is a good snake. It helps. Okay, fine, whatever. But it's not going to live in our backyard, okay? It's gone. And I said, I'm going to give you boys the right to take this snake's head off. This is a rite of passage. You've got to grow up. And you're like, oh, I don't know. Just go. You just got to. You can't be you know, timid about it. You got to take that thing and take the thing. And what's going to happen? I said, here's the weird thing. He's going to still move a little while. Okay, don't let that scare you. Just take his head off. And, and in fact, you know, Genesis 1 talks about how we have dominion over everything that slithers on the ground. So when you do it, yell dominion really loud. Take your shirt off if you want to. You feel like a man. Okay. So anyway, I remember... Obadiah gets up there, he gets that shovel, and he takes the thing up and goes, Dominion! And she takes that snake's head off and he goes, I'm feeling sick. I was like, okay. But you had your first chance. Now, here's the thing. Snake's dead in the yard. It, it's moving around a little bit, but we know it's, it's not a danger anymore to us when it finally stops moving. So in my right mind, is it okay just to leave the snake in the backyard? No. It still scares my daughter to death. It still freaks my wife out. I want to remove the filth from that thing ever being there because I want my kid to go in the backyard and play and not have to worry about that. And what is Josiah doing? Get rid of the filth in our land. I don't care if it's... Get it away. Josiah, you're safe. I don't want it to even threaten our people anymore. If I'm saved, that's awesome. Maybe I can save some of them too. Catch that, right? Maybe I can tear all this stuff down and remove it from their eyes and it might, I don't know, remove from their heart. And they might have a chance. So this is what happens then as he goes down. Verse 21 is the last thing to notice from this passage. But it says, The king commanded all the people, Observe the Passover of the Lord your God as written in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had ever been observed from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Lord's Passover was observed in Jerusalem. Now, Folks, if you've been with us through Exodus, you know what the Passover is, right? Tenth plague. Let's remember that we got rescued out of slavery, saved from the hands of our enemy. Why? 
because the Lamb of God has been sacrificed in our place and we're going to paint that blood on the doorpost. And when God's judgment comes and he sees that blood has been shed, he will pass over that door because somebody has died in our place and we can go free. And at this moment, Josiah is reading all the stuff they need to get rid of, but he also realizes something they need to do and they need to observe the Passover. And here's why. Josiah knew their only hope was found in the sacrifice of another. We sin so much. We have been so horrible. We have disobeyed God so much. We must, once again, enact this Passover sacrifice. We must come to the place of knowing that we can follow the one true God. And um, what is our hope? Our hope is in the sacrifice of Jesus, right? I mean, throughout all the pages of the Old Testament, I... I know y'all probably like, oh, here goes another Jesus reference. I'm sorry, it's everywhere. Okay, right? Here they are in sin. The only hope they've got is in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away their sins. And so here's the adjustment that we need to at least consider as we consider an example like Josiah. I, I, love, um, I love how Josiah is wanting to remove the temptations even though he's free from it. And, and here's where I'll be honest that sometimes I struggle in this tension. Sometimes I see this world in such bad shape. I go, well, Scripture says it's going to continue to get worse and Jesus is going to come back. So what can we do? Well, if every Christian in this culture just decides to just take a step back and not push back the darkness and not expose people to the light, guess what we're doing? We're inviting this thing to get more out of control quicker than possible And we are not allowing other people to go, there is freedom to be found in this crazy thing we call the world. And so I don't want, don't underestimate what one's influence can do. You and I may not change the moral trajectory of the United States of America. But that doesn't mean we can't influence a few people along the way. Maybe even more. I mean, don't underestimate what one's influence can do you never know what one person changing might change the trajectory of certain things and and so uh just just think about we um this last week our family took a few days uh just to vacate in charleston and um it was just great to take the kids to fort sumter and different places like uh uss yorktown they'd never been to and so we're just getting all our fills of uh, so much information, so much information. And, you know, you, you see these big battleships and you see these forts, whatever, and then all along the way you see these little stories, right, of just one individual who said, I'll do that. I'm not scared to step up there. And you go, the chances of survival were so minimal, right? And history is defined by some people going, there's still hope there. And I'm going to do what I can to bring some other folks along. Um, if you ever read the story about the USS Laffey and the kamikaze planes that were coming in, flying against this air, there was no chance this thing had. And yet there were a few people in that ship said, no, we, we can do this. And they withstood. I think they said there was 50 kamikaze pilots coming at them. Six of them hit the ship and Laffey would not go down. And they got rid of all the rest of them. It was crazy. The thing was about, I mean, somehow it didn't fall because some people said, I'm not going to abandon my post. I'm still going to do what, what I need to do. So don't underestimate what one's influence can do. On the other side, don't overestimate what one's culture might do. Don't think too much of, well, 
you know what, there's just too many people in power who don't believe in the Bible anymore, and there's too much majority who do this, and you know what, um, n- nothing can change, and there, there's too much power, there's too much influence. Don't overestimate what a culture can do. You might be surprised at the changes and adjustments that could take place as people, as God's people stand up and try to do what we can. Now, um, you may say, well, what's the, what, what's the adjustments we need to make? What are the decisions we need to make? I, I don't know. But I do know this. I don't think that as a people of God, we need to surrender to what's happening. And I think we need to be the type of leaders who say, I will step and speak boldly about what God's word says, what Josiah did, right? This is what God's word says. I'm not going to back off from this. This is what the scripture tells me we need to do. And so we know, though, as um, one of the most troublesome areas of my life, I wish that I could just change people's hearts. Have you ever wanted that, right? Sometimes... Maybe not change their hearts. I just want to shake them a little. <laughs> just like shake them a little bit, right? Just get them. Like, you see this, like, and I know this as an individual that I have learned this the hard way. I can't change somebody's heart, right? But while leaders can't change hearts, they can inform minds. I can't change hearts. Can the spirit change hearts? Yes. Can the word of God be used to change hearts? Absolutely. I don't have the power to do that, but I do have the power to speak the truth of God's word. And allow his spirit and his word to transform. I inform their mind. I get them to think about some things. And I cause them to potentially, just potentially, maybe alter what they are thinking. I had someone come to me recently who grew up in this church and said, I'm coming to you because I know that you'll tell me the honest truth about what you believe. So what do you believe about this situation? Well, no, what's your opinion on this cultural issue going on? I said, I don't have an opinion. They went, oh, of course you do. You got, I said, no, no, I don't have an opinion. I have God's word. My opinions don't mean anything. I've got the truth of God's word, and that is what I'm standing on. And so I, at that, that meeting, that conversation, I said, let me open you up. This is what God's word says. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. I don't want to say it in a way that you get frustrated at the tone in which I'm speaking. And y'all do realize this. It's one thing to get offended by the message. It's another thing to get offended by the messenger, right? I, I can't handle if somebody goes, that, that offends me right there. I, I, I've always told people this. When you get to speaking God's word, you are nothing other than the mailman. You don't write the mail. You just deliver it, right? Here you go. I'm delivering the mail. I didn't write it. Well, I'm offended by that. Well, you need to talk with him because I didn't write it. I'm just giving it to you, okay? Now, I've yet to have a mailman come up and say, hey, ring the doorbell, just throw the package at my face, right? That could happen, okay? But typically, it's, here it is. You need to open this up. You need to consider this message. You need to get, and, and so for this, our, our job is to have those conversations where we can sit down and talk with people and say, let me give you an idea of what can happen. Can I tell you where most of our cultural um, disagreements are being played out in. It's this thing called social media right now, right? And can I tell you where nobody's minds are being changed? (laughs) Social media? All we're doing is enraging everybody else, right? It just doesn't, it's not the avenue for it. It's crazy what can happen when you can sit down and look at somebody eye to eye and say, I hear what you're saying. Can I tell you what God's word says? And you get frustrated with it, but you're going to have to really work to be frustrated with me, Okay. You're really going to have to work hard to be frustrated with me. And so you can inform minds. You can teach God's word. You can hope people can see the light of this. 
And what you want to do, just like Josiah, commit the Scripture's teachings more than a culture's leanings, right? What does Scripture say more than what a culture leans towards? What scares me today about the LGBTQ plus movement? It's the plus sign. That's what scares me to death. You know, you don't have a problem with the LGBTQ. No, no, no. L is sin, G is sin, B is sin, D is sin, all that sin. It's the plus sign that reveals this. We don't know what we're going to get to next year, but trust me, it's coming. Is that not odd to you? Hey, we got more variations of where this thing's going. Just want to go ahead and tell you, there's a dot, dot, dot. We got more stuff coming to say we're going to change the way that we believe about things and who knows what's left. We keep moving the line back and back and back and back and back. Here's the plus sign to say we got freedom to add whatever we want to. God's word does not need a second edition. It does not need a revision. He is not waiting on us to fix his problems. We've got to commit to what scripture says more than a culture's leanings. Uh, because I'll just say this, even in the last five years, it just changes overnight, does it? Deeper and darker and you name it. So what do we do in the midst of it? Leverage your influence to protect others from sin's devastation. You may not be able to change where the entire culture is going. You may not be able to change some type of decision they make in Washington, D.C. I have often heard the old preachers say, you may be concerned about what they're saying in the White House or what they're saying in the State House or what they're doing in the schoolhouse. But what you need to be concerned is what's being taught in your house, right? And there is some truth to that, folks. Now, I want that stuff to be addressed. If it doesn't, I'm going to be like Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Y'all can do whatever you want to do, okay? I'm going to stand and I'm going to speak and I'm going to say, hey, look, this is what you need to do. But you leverage that, that, that influence to protect others from sin's devastation, just like Josiah. I'll give you the scenario just to think about with leadership content and curriculum. As a leader here, as we think through how we lead out in our church, um, in our gospel groups, we have a three-year rotation where we kind of walk through the Scripture's teachings. Start Genesis, end in Revelation, and then after year three, we start over again. I'm not saying we're going to do that until Jesus comes back, but I'm not really against, uh, it's not that I'm against it. You know why? Um, Because you'd be shocked at how much we can forget. And you'd also be shocked at how biblically illiterate so many people are that say they go to church. Um, In all likelihood, uh, I, I typically preach through books, the Bible, we may never preach through the book of Judges here. We might. I might get really wiry and go for it, okay? But that may be a hard place. But is there something that the younger generations needs to learn from the life of Samson? Yeah, like that. His, his lesson in failures like needs to be something that people need to know, right? And so what are we doing here? We are trying to expose our kids and our adults, youngest to the oldest in this church. Here's what the Word teaches. You know Why? You don't need to go out there and be a cultural warrior saying that you believe a book you've never read. You don't need to tell everybody they need to follow a book you don't know where to find your own stuff in, right? We want to be exposed to God's Word. I want you to know not only what you believe, but why you believe it. And that is exposure to God's Word. And so what we want to do, we want to get people in the Word. That's why we have Bible reading plans. We want you to get in the Word because I don't want to be to other people. You need to follow this book, and I don't even follow it. I want to know God's Word. And so, um, you know, I can um, 
think about how we can make changes. And this last thought here for us to conclude on tonight, we cannot live in a verified godless culture if we still live amongst it. And the reason why I say that is um, my senior year of high school, Greenwood High School, graduated 99. Our theme song was Prince, Party Like It's 99. Okay, anyway, um, I, I was a student body president at Greenwood High School. And part of the student body president's job, I don't know why, I, I got to make the announcements every day before lunch. That was really fun. And get on the intercom and, uh, by the way, such and such has happened. And that was, that was my job. And at that time, I had the opportunity to have a moment of silence. Right, okay? Y'all remember a moment of silence? Now, some of y'all can remember when prayer was in school, right? Some of y'all do, okay? I, I, don't, I don't remember anybody having a prayer in school other than that, that, that coach that didn't care. You know, before a game, we'd all say the Lord's Prayer on the other sidelines. They were saying the Lord's Prayer and the Lord at the heaven going, what do I do? Okay, like, you know, but we're all saying, okay, like, Lord. And, and we, would, we would pray, but in school, I never prayed. So what we have, I, I'd say, and now uh, we're going to have a moment of silence. And I'd sit there by the intercom, and I just want to go, what are these kids doing right now, right? I know what I was doing. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you please call some students to know you? Right? Like I just, man, my friends are really messed up. I hope they know you. And what we typically say at that time was, you know, you, the reason why schools are in the bad shape they're in, they took prayer out of school. Amen. Okay? They did take prayer out of school, but they didn't take the prayer warriors out of it. No. Right? I was there. And moment of silence was happening, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the arrows against the enemy, right? I'm, okay, I'm going to pray. Even if they don't have somebody on a microphone offering a prayer, I'm sitting here at the microphone. I was praying every single day. Lord, please do something in this school. Please change lives. Hey, please, whatever. And so I, I say this to go, they may have taken prayer out of school, but they didn't take praying teachers out. They didn't take praying students out. They didn't take praying administrators out. They couldn't do that. You know why? We slip behind the lines, right, okay? They may take certain rights of uh, things that happen in certain civic squares. That didn't mean they take you out. Where you go, the Almighty God goes with you. So they may say, we can't mention his name. Well, you invited me to the party, so guess what? He's here. And so with this, whether you have a position like Josiah, you got the position like the guy cleaning out the temple or the guy who's helping tearing down the images, you do your part. And if a godless culture is happening, it's not verified. It's not fully godless. You know why? We're still here. And as while we draw breath, we will serve Christ and we will make him known and we will try to lead others to do the same. So, Father, I just pray tonight that as we think about this fallen world that we live in, that we will not live faithless among other people who are faithless but what may we be people who are faithful and do our part to whether i'm thankful that like josiah i am spared from the wrath that is coming because of jesus i will not experience the judgment and wrath of god but lord as many people as i can rescue from that fire i want to help us be the type of leaders who not only think about our own rescue but try to make that available for others as well in jesus name we pray amen Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.